You may be seated. The word of the Lord. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Let's pray. God, you are, you are love. You are the very definition of love. You have displayed your love for us in sending us your son. We thank you for that indescribable gift for all that we can see and learn and be as a result of, of that display of love. And that's our desire this morning to worship you, to hear your word, and not just hear it, but to do it. We pray that, that as we receive your word this morning, you would work in our hearts and cause us to love you more and help us to love each other better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. David left all of his stuff here. Hate to see what his bedroom looks like at home. Well, have you ever had that thought on a Saturday? I wonder what happens to, to, to Scott or at Alliance when Scott gets sick. Well, today you get to find out one of those options. So Scott is home with the flu that many of you have probably shared with him. And uh, he... He is home, sick in bed. At least he better not show up after what we've been through the last 24 hours. He better stay home. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. This morning during the first service, it was raining so hard in here. It reminded me of the wedding of Scott's son, Jonathan, to Stephanie. Any of you here for that wedding? You remember, anybody remember hearing it? Yeah, it rained so hard that day that you could hardly hear the ceremony. I was part of the, the music part of that thing. I don't even know why. I think I was just moving my lips. I don't know if they ever heard anything. It was so, so loud. It takes us uh, kind of this passage this morning of 1 Corinthians 13. It's a common passage of Scripture. We often think of it as the, the wedding passage. You probably uh, 
maybe even used it at your own wedding or have been planning on it, maybe after we talk about it a bit this morning, uh, you might have second thoughts. You know, the Corinthians first received this letter from, from Paul. It, it wasn't for a wedding. And it's not because they were doing so well at love that he was trying to say, give them some attaboys. And they didn't go, ah, oh, I, I, we're, we're so loving. In fact, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, which was this hub of commerce and trade. No one went to Corinth because it was a nice place to get married and settle down and raise a family. It was a cutthroat, competitive, vile, dirty place. This is the place people came to make it, to somehow succeed, somehow succeed. And so naturally, the church at Corinth was comprised of this kind of people from this culture. It was a tough place. And frankly, they weren't getting it. And so Paul sends this letter to the people of Corinth to admonish them and instruct them. So verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13 are saying something like this in the Moyer paraphrase. All, you have all these Christian practices in your churches. Tongues and prophecy and giving and works. And, and you think you're loving, but you don't love. You're not doing this out of real, genuine love. Because how, are they, how they were living, Paul is actually saying that your, your love is empty. Your acts are empty. They're self-serving and it gains you nothing. And maybe in verses 4 through 7, he explains what love really looks like. And he, it might be more aptly read like this. Listen, you're impatient. Love is patient. You are unkind. Love is kind. You are envious. Love does not envy. You are boastful. Love does not boast. You are arrogant and rude. Love does none of these things. All of this doing that they were doing with the absence of love is the problem. It's inconsistent for, with us and it's inconsistent with the work of the gospel. Paul is saying... You are doing what appears to be loving acts, but with the wrong motives and when within, with wrong or inadequate power. We don't do to prove that we are loving. We are to be loving because of the overflow and the outpouring of the gospel in our lives. He is saying it is possible to have these outward signs, these good, moral, spiritual behaviors, and to be spiritually empty, not having a supernaturally changed heart at all, just simply doing good. So today, our word is maybe more of a checkup for us. Is it possible that we, like the Corinthian church, are, are doing good things? serving, teaching, and yet we aren't doing it out of authentic, genuine love. Is your loving, is your giving and serving an expression of the gospel in your life? 
Or could we be doing these things, these good moral behaviors, and just simply doing it to earn God's favor? Albert Moeller uh, says this. In our own context, one of the most seductive false gospels is moralism. This false gospel can take many forms and can emerge from any number of political and cultural impulses. Nevertheless, the basic structure of moralism comes down to this, the belief that the gospel can be reduced to improvements in my behavior. Be more loving, be more joyful, be more hopeful, be more giving, empty. It's moralism. And so let's pose three questions this morning. If we're supposed to be gospel-loving, if we're supposed to find out what this authentic gospel love is from which we live, then what is the source of it? Where do, where do we find it? Secondly, I want to argue just briefly that, that we are actually incapable of gospel-loving. You just can't do it. And then thirdly, if we want to function or we are overflowing, how can we be assured that our actions are actually motivated and come from, from gospel life, from, from the heart of God? How do we know? So let's start with the first one. This may be the longest one, but you'll see in a moment, I think it's the most important. God's love is the source. Some of you are going, great, <laughs> I knew that one. But listen, it is for him it ends with him. And you need to understand that the doctrine of God's love is way beyond the scope of what we can discuss today. But let me give you just a, a glimpse of it. And, and because I know Scott will listen to this, how about a quote from D.A. Carson? Huh? I think that'll be a great thing. He writes this about some of the expressions of God's love. God shares a peculiar love between the divine father and son. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand, John 3.35. God has a providential love over His creation. That's another way He expresses it. God shows salvific love or salvation love toward the fallen world. You know this one, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He demonstrated that. God has a particular love and elective love toward chosen people. We learned about that in Romans 9, those of you that agreed with that are still here. God demonstrates conditional love toward his people based on obedience. Love this from Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You'll understand that a little more in a while. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, John 15. There are a, a number of ways that God demonstrates his love toward all that he has made. These verses and others, they're descriptive of who he is. Now listen, of who he is, his character, his immutable, unchanging qualities. Yes, he does loving things, but he is first of all love. Love does not need... God does not need to attain or attempt to maintain love. It is his very substance. It is his very substance and nature. All his activity springs from, from who he is. He is love. All his activity is therefore loving. He cannot act 
in a way contrary to who he is. He is loving. Now, this is key. He does not choose to love you. He does not choose to exercise love. He is love. That's important. It has enormous implications on how you and I live and how you and I interact with God. It might lead us to ask, or we may have already asked these questions, does God love me if... dot, dot, dot. How about this one? This week you really blew it. You gave in to that nagging sin. You tried to resist, but you resent. You, you sinned, but then you repented. I'm thinking God's probably warming back up to you a little bit. Maybe. Or this week, maybe on this side of the scale, you witnessed to eight people, led three to Christ, gave, a $20, gave $20 to a homeless woman and her three infant children, raked leaves for an elderly man who's a war veteran. Wow. God loves you a lot. Or in worship, I saw you. I saw you. I didn't see the private, but I know if it's anything like your public worship, you really worshiped him. You declared his worth and you told him you really, really loved him and that you were going to give your life to missions. <sighs> Off the charts with God, I'm sure, that he loves you a lot more than the first guy. God loves because he loves. That's who he is. Does anything you say or I say or I do or you do change God's love? Does my affection, my work, my disobedience, my selfishness add or take away from God's essence of love? Well, no. God loves us because we forgot. He is love. That's who he is. I think it is arrogant to think that you can add to or take away from God's act of love, whether you're good or bad. He is love. We live in that love. He doesn't change because of you. We change because of him. Listen for the outpouring of God's love in, in the book of Ephesians. Paul tells these dear folks, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we see his love in action before the foundation of the world. It was active. It was pouring forth from who he is ahead of time before you ever entered the scene. But when you did, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2. Not only was love toward us present before we were born, it was in place knowing that you and I would be born dead spiritually. For you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
but God, being rich in mercy. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were raised up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So at, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now this one you know. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And then what are the good works? Walking in love. We had nothing to give, nothing of usefulness to God. I think parents maybe understand this more. Not fully, but more. It doesn't matter if you have biological children or adopted children. There's a love that is demonstrated by most parents that, that is an at-all-costs love. Do anything for our kids. At conception or adoption, most parents begin loving their child. We don't need a prescription for it. We, we just kind of jump in and do it. Think about it. As a newborn, did you have anything at all to offer? Nothing. Nothing at all. Here's a little plug for one of our own. Bringing Joshua Home is a, a new film that Arthur and Hannah Rasco have completed that tells the story of their adoption of Joshua, who is an orphan from Moscow. I can't wait to see it. But what's amazing to this, and for, for others of you that have, have gone through the process of adoption, Joshua didn't come into the home and have to earn it. I know they loved Joshua even before they brought him home. He became part of their family. It doesn't matter. Thank you, Hannah and Arthur, for sharing that story in your lives with us. Joshua had nothing to offer, but he gained their love. We have nothing to offer, and we merit God's love through Christ. And it's kind of hard to get our brain around this, this idea of God's immense love for us. We wrestle with this worldly understanding of love that is earned and lost. It's not new. It's not new to us. Paul prays for the Ephesian church that the Father might help them understand the same kind of love. For this reason, Paul prayed, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of glory, he may grant you to be strengthened in power through his Spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
The love of God is not a concept easily grasped. But it's ours at the cost of Christ for us. A snapshot of the kind of love that Paul was referencing with the Corinthian church. It's unconditional. It's measureless. It's unchangeable. It's unearned. It defines who God is. And all love, listen, all love comes from Him. Even the love that you demonstrate comes from Him. It always points back to Him. And that's why I suggest that we are incapable of gospel loving without Him. We've already touched some on Ephesians 2 that and explained, or at least uh, demonstrated, that, that we were born dead in sin, in sin. If God, then, is the ultimate and only source of loving action, we, apart from Him, are incapable of loving. I cannot love God, and I cannot love others without a truly transformed, supernaturally transformed heart. I just can't. Do it. Without living into the person of Christ and allowing him to transform this selfish, dark heart of mine and yours, the best that we can hope for in our giving and our loving and our loving acts is moralism that we explained before. Ultimately, self-serving and point back to us trying to earn God's favor. We are dead in sin. It is the life of Christ in us that demonstrates love. Without living into the person of Jesus and allowing him to transform us, I'm going to repeat that phrase from before. Without living into the person of Christ and allowing him to transform the dark, selfish heart, the best we can hope for is doing loving acts which are ultimately self-serving and point back to us. The fall has affected us, every part of us. Genesis 6 says, this is a real encouraging verse for you today. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's us. Without him, that's us. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their mind, blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. In theological terms, this is called total depravity. It refers to the idea that our whole, that our whole humanity is fallen. That is, there is no part of me that has not been affected in some way by the fall. Sin affects my will, my heart, my mind, my body. Only by the work of grace, the work of Christ, the expression of God's love, His outpouring toward me, can we be transformed into the likeness of Christ and begin to love like Him, and then our loving acts will point back to Him and give glory to Him. And I also understand that this doesn't happen overnight. I know the day that we prayed the prayer, received Christ, and the transformation took place, 
there's still a lot of work to do. But love should become evidence that a change has taken place. Love should become evidence. It should be the outflow of your walk with Christ. But how can we be sure? Question three. How can we be assured that our actions are actually loving? That they flow out of a gospel-centered life? Again, Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now think with me about this for a moment. If the Spirit is bearing this kind of fruit in us, does it not seem to reason that perhaps that fruit wasn't there to begin with? Yes? It's not present in the unregenerate heart. We can only deduce that the loving acts we do are not born ultimately out of love because it wasn't there to begin with. It is only by the work of God through His Spirit in us. Therefore, to be loving like God, two things. One, we, we must come to Christ and gain a supernaturally changed heart. He must transform us he must change everything. Secondly, we must actively participate with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He will help us bear fruit. And what do I mean? We must lean daily into the gospel. And I want to suggest to us this morning that unless we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will fall short in our practice of loving in a gospel way. Because I think we'll all drift backwards. Few of us drift, well, I'll just say none of us drift forward into God. Last October, I began a journey with my boys. I, I committed to them that I would write a devotional for them each day. As a father with both boys now out of the home, I, I really wanted, uh, I felt this urging to continue to speak truth into their lives, but my I didn't know how to do it with them away, so I figured I could text them, but I got thumb cramps thinking of that. They don't. They, they could do that. But I decided I'd email them something every day, so that's the commitment that I made with them. So each day through version, I get the verse of the day, so, it's, so my, I'm somewhat objective. I'm not trying to come with backdoor evangelism with them. I just want to share my life with them and, and my walk with Jesus with them. It's amazing the number of times over the last several months how the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, in our lives, has been surfaced. So I thought I would um, share one of the entries with you and give you an example of what I've shared with them because I think it bears truth in this activity of the Holy Spirit that we need to partner with each day to be the loving God Christ-transformed people that he calls us to be. This is from February 1st. The verse of the day was, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from 
doing things that you want to do. And I always provide a little picture. The Holy Spirit is an often overlooked person in our lives, sons. It's what you might call the silent member of the Trinity. He is present from the beginning. He is always in the background as the breath of life and power. From creation to indwelling us to recreate, comfort, convict, and direct, the Holy Spirit is present. His primary role is to bring glory to Jesus. He is not less or more than Jesus. He is just that. It is just that he is a member of the Trinity. This is his role and function. What does this have to do with us? Well, everything. The Holy Spirit is the power of the new life within us to live for the glory of Jesus, to walk with him daily, to day by day grow into the likeness of Christ. We need divine power. We do not have the capacity to live for God or navigate through this life without the Spirit. So each morning as I spend time reading and writing, I, I first pray, and I do pray this. Holy Spirit, I, I know your job is to glorify Jesus. Help me to partner with you in the work that you're doing. Help me to live for him today. Guide me in my walk. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. And without him, we will wonder. I love you, Dad. That's a practical prayer that we can pray every day. St. Augustine wrote this. So it is God... The Holy Spirit proceeding from God who fires man to the love of God and neighbor when he has been given to him and he himself is love. Man has no capacity to love God except from God. Jonathan Lehman suggests that love is kind of like a boomerang at coming from God and returning to God, catching us up in the ark of its path. If God's love is going to define who we are, then after we have been born into him, we must be active, we must be in active and intentional relationship with the Spirit in us. By his power and prompting, the supernaturally changed heart can be an ever-growing heart. This is the expectation of the growing and maturing follower of Christ. To live in gospel love. Paul kind of finishes out that chapter in 13 and he says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I, now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith and hope and love, they abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. How will we love? Palm Sunday begins a week that we call Holy Week or Passion Week. We heard the story earlier. Jesus called his disciples to, to get a donkey and 
for him to ride as he went into Jerusalem as the king, we, we know a little better. This week unfolded as a week of horrific passion and, and suffering, the betrayal of a friend, a last meal with his disciples, a flogging by the soldiers, a march of death bearing a cross to Golgotha, a crucifixion, and a death. God demonstrates his passionate, self-giving love by sending his son Jesus to accomplish on the cross what we could never do. So this week is the week that demonstrates most fully gospel-loving Read this passage of scripture with me together and be reminded of that. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God, we have more there? Thank you. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you want to see love in action? Follow the events of this week. Do you want to walk in the newness of gospel love? First, your heart needs to be transformed by his power and his grace. And if it has not been, I hope you will seek out someone today for that transformation to begin. Do you want to walk in daily gospel love and partner with the Holy Spirit? He's present in you. Together, you will gloriously love Christ. Let's pray. It is a mystery, creator, God, king. While your love comes our direction at all. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Who is the conduit of your love toward us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who enables us to live as people of love. We acknowledge we need your help. We acknowledge that we try to do it on our own. Help us, we pray, to be people identified as gospel-loving people. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Just stand and sing with us.